Amen. Thank you, worship team. Love that. Love that uh, new song that we're able to sing, Lord Have Mercy. There's uh, really a rich tradition over a couple thousand years of uh, a song of response as a part of a worship, or a song of confession, excuse me, as a part of a worship service. And oftentimes in uh, churches like ours, kind of from our tradition, we don't uh, do that very well. And so I love, and there aren't honestly that many songs um, that um, are really songs of confession like that. And so I really appreciate uh, Pastor David's leadership and introducing that into our worship set and uh, Trust that you were blessed by it, and uh, we can confess to the Lord because of what we sang after that we know uh, that he uh, will hold us fast. And so praise the Lord. I hope that you are already encouraged in the gospel this morning. We're going to trust that the Lord will continue to encourage us in his word. So please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, we are going to be in chapter 6, verses 37 and 38 this morning. Uh, We're only making it through two verses, and we really only uh, almost made it through the first half of one verse, but then I just had to force myself to keep going, but uh, boy, I was... uh it was a painful one for me this week. I was super convicted, and so it's just one of those weeks where I feel like uh, preaching to myself, and it didn't always feel good, and so I trust that the Lord is going to uh, encourage us in his word this morning, uh, including some things that uh, maybe are just a little bit painful to hear, but good uh, to hear. So hopefully you've made it to uh, the book of Luke, chap- excuse me, chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 37 to 38. I'm going to read those verses, and then we will pray. It says this, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you once again that we can gather together and for the privilege uh, to preach it and uh, to hear it preached. Lord, uh, you know that uh, uh, no person is worthy uh, to preach uh, your word, and yet um, you allow it by your grace. And so I thank you and just ask that you would uh, guard my words and my heart and give me a a humble spirit as we uh, seek to apply these words that were written so long ago to our lives today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm kind of in the middle of a stage of life that I never really had thought about before, which is that uh, my parents and my in-laws are both entering into retirement. You know, when you're a kid, you just think, you know, my dad works, my parents work, and uh, that's just how it's going to be forever. But, uh, and you don't think about when, when they're retiring because uh, when you're a kid, I'm not saying this now, but when you're a kid, only old people are retired. <laughs> My parents aren't going to be old, but that's not true, obviously. Uh, when you're uh, retired, you've got a lot of life to live, and uh, you're not an old person at all. But well, I'm at that stage right now. We are literally um, uh, celebrating my father-in-law's 
uh, retirement. He was an oral surgeon in Kokomo for 35 years, and uh, some of you may have gone to him, and if you did, I, I will never know unless you tell me because he will take it to his grave because he takes HIPAA very seriously, and, uh, but uh, he's retiring, so we've been celebrating that, and my dad is getting ready to retire as well, and so it's, I've just kind of been thinking about uh, my dad and my father-in-law and uh, really the, the legacy that they have have left for me and their careers and things that I uh, want to emulate. And, um, and uh, I've just been really blessed to have a great dad for my whole life and, and a, a great father-in-law as well. And so there, for when I think about my dad, there's, there's certain things that uh, I just take after my dad naturally, and these would be true whether I wanted them to be true or not, like just completely outside of my control. I'm thinking genetic things. This might be TMI. I went back and forth, but I'm just going to say it because you guys know me. I always do TMI. Anyway, so like my, uh, my chest hair, <laughs> I told you it's TMI. You look at pictures of my dad and me at the same age, and it's like follicle for follicle, like the exact same pattern. It's really weird, I know. But there, I know, so Emily's booing me in the front row. I need her to sit a few rows back some weeks, but... Well, like, we just, there's no, I can't have any control over that. The, the fact that when I start sweating and I just, like, it's like a two-hour, like, slowdown, I'm not going to stop, so it doesn't matter, I'm going to take a freezing cold shower, I'm going to get out and keep sweating. That comes from my dad as well. And one more plug for the Guatemala trip, if you want to experience that, come with me to Guatemala and you'll get to see firsthand uh, what that looks like. My voice is just like my dad. Oftentimes when uh, I was even still in high school and I'd answer the phone and people would think it was my dad talking and on and on it goes, right? We all have things that we take after our parents whether we want to or not. Um, there are other things uh, when it comes to my dad that, man, I, I want to be like him, uh, but it's not just going to happen, right? And like I said, I'm blessed to have not a great dad, but a great father-in-law as well. And so things like their integrity or their work ethic or honesty, their desire to honor God and everything that they do. Like, I hope that these things are true of me uh, like they are for them. And I can pass those things off to my son as well. And so my hope would be that I can just kind of live my life in a way that anyone knows my dad would be like, are you Dave's son? Because, man, you're, you're just like him in a lot of ways. Not just because we look alike, uh, but because uh, I've worked hard to model my character after him. Like I said, many, uh, I was blessed in that way. Um, many of you were blessed in that way as well. And you think about your dad or, or mom, and you think like, man, that is somebody that I want to, if I could be like them, uh, man, I would be doing pretty well. Others of you, uh, that is not the case at all, right? Some of you are like, man, I just, if I can be the exact opposite of my father or, or my mother, like that's, that's what I need to be. And uh, some of you maybe didn't even have a relationship with, with one or both of your parents. And uh, the, the good news is, whether you had a great dad or not, the same of this kind of thing that I'm describing is true with your heavenly father, right? So in, this, in the same way, there are ways that you reflect your heavenly father simply by the fact that you are alive and are a human being, like right now, like because you were created in God's image, you reflect certain aspects of his character, and you don't have to do anything or work hard at it, uh, you just... You are created in the image of God, and so there's a dignity that every single human being has, having been created in the image of God. 
But there's other areas of our lives that if we want to be like our Heavenly Father, we're going to have to work at it. And leading up to our passage, that's what verses 35 and 36 essentially are saying. They're telling us that these are different ways that you can be like your Heavenly Father. And so in verses 37 and 38 of Luke chapter 6, we're going to see four different areas, four different ways that we as God's children, as God's children need to work to make sure we are reflecting truthfully and accurately who he is. And so the hope is, I would hope that this is true of every single one of us, that somebody could come up to you and say, are you, are you a child of God? Because the resemblance here is just, it's just uncanny. That's the hope. We're going to have to work at different things to get there. And the four things that are uh, in this passage, like I said, are super painful. And so buckle up. It might hurt a little bit, but we're all going to hurt together. Okay, so we all ready to hurt together? Does that sound good? Nobody's ready to hurt together. Okay, awesome. That was, that was the feedback that I got there. Nope, we're not ready. Okay, now are we ready to hurt together? Okay, here we go. Thank you once again, Andy London. Now, you're always there for me, buddy. I appreciate you. Here's the first. Don't judge. Don't judge. Pastor Mike, where do you come up with these headings? Well, let me tell you. Verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. There we go. Now, you have probably heard this verse before, right? This is likely the single most quoted and probably one of the single most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. Right? I think this verse gets misquoted kind of in two different ways, two different directions, if you will, that this verse is misquoted. First of all, this verse is quoted all the time by people who just simply don't want anyone to judge them for what they're doing, right? Like the people who, they might not be able to name a single book of the Bible, but uh, the moment they feel any sort of disapproval uh, for what they're doing, they break out, right, perfect King James English, judge not... And ye shall not be judged, right? They all, it's like a lot of people have this verse memorized. It's a good one to memorize. The second way this verse gets misquoted is by people who just are kind of like, I want to live, do my thing, and let other people do their thing. Right? I'm going to do what I think is best, but the Bible says is not to judge. The Bible tells us not to judge. So if they want to do something different, that's not up for me to say what's right or what's wrong. I'm not going to push my beliefs on them. So here's the question, simply, what's this verse mean? Is this verse saying that we should never make any sort of moral judgment on anything that ever happens, ever? Of course not, right? Like, how could a Christian serve on a jury if that was the case, right? You're gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to abstain. Uh, I'm not supposed to judge anything ever, right? You, you, like, physically can't go through your life like this if you really tried to uh, um, be intellectually honest about never judging. And, and not only that, but I mean, Scripture is just clear on what kinds of things are. It's full of, of commands and things that tells us what we're called to do, what we're called not to do. And if we just say this verse means don't ever worry about anything that anyone ever does, it's basically just like, okay, let's just push the power off button on everything else and, and not worry about it. So what is this verse talking about? Well, remember, 
each one of these things tells us like how we're supposed to be like our heavenly Father. So does God judge? Yep, yep, good job. Of course he does, right? God is the definition of right and wrong, so to not judge would literally, it's like an oxymoron. It would be outside of God's character. But here's the question. Is God judgmental? What does that mean? Well, some of you might be tempted to say, yes, this is exactly who God is. God is the big guy in the sky who doesn't want me to have any fun. And so he takes pleasure out of just making sure he disapproves with everything I do or want to do. Right? That is not God. What does a judgmental person do? A judgmental person rushes to condemn sin in others while also rushing to ignore the sin in themselves. Does that make sense? A judgmental person is perfectly content to point out the severity of other people's sin and downplay the severity of their own. Who does this? You do. <laughs> and me. <laughs> we do this all the time. If this is not you, then please help me <laughs> with this. Because this is, this is just almost the natural state that we live in. Man, I, and this is where I've just been so convicted by this. I don't know, but maybe this is just me. Maybe it's not you. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse and felt like you should apologize, but then you didn't because why would I apologize? What they did was way worse than what I did. One person. No, I didn't, you didn't have to raise your hand. But man, I mean, it's just like, that's just like, it's just, just what comes naturally to us. Look down with me a few verses. See what Jesus says here. I love this. Verse 41. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is your own, in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck, take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Take out the speck. This is, this is a, a humorous story. Jesus said some funny things. We don't always catch it, uh, but this, Jesus is being funny here. He's, this is the, the picture that he's using for the, a log. The word that he uses is like, that was the word that they used for like a roof beam that was made out of wood in a house. So like just a massive log of wood, right? Like a tree trunk. He's saying he's, there's a guy walking around with one of these just sticking out of his eye. And that guy, who first of all, what's, if, you have a, if you have a roof beam in your eye, it's logistically impossible, but let's pretend that it is possible. What's, what's going on? Well, one, you have a pretty big problem on your hand, right? If I have a splinter in my eye, that's the only thing I can focus on until that thing is taken care of, right? So you have a problem that needs addressed, first of all. Secondly, you can't see. And so what's this guy doing? He's walking around with a roof beam sticking out of his eye, and he goes, hey, buddy, looks like you got a little piece of dust in your eye. Here, let me, here, let me come and take care of that for you. What's the dust guy going to say? Whoa, <laughs> I think you probably have a problem that you should deal with first, right? It's ridiculous. 
Why, if I have a speck in my eye, would I trust the guy who doesn't realize he has a roof beam stuck in his eye (laughs) to deal with the speck in my eye? And two, how can that guy even see? You see, a judging person, a judgmental person, doesn't recognize the depth of their own sin. When we are quick to point out the sin in others, when we are quick to choose to think the worst of somebody else, when we are quick to decide not only that's what they did, but the way that they got to what they did was all sorts of bad motives all the way down. You see, when we're quick to jump to that, what are we doing? We're completely missing the log that is in our own eye. And it comes down to this question, what, what kind of person are you going to be? That's what Jesus is asking. Do you want to be the guy who's walking around with a roof beam stuck out of his eye thinking that he can fix everybody else's problems? No. Well, Jesus, when you put it like that, of course not. <laughs> and yet how often is that exactly <laughs> what we're doing? This is why Jesus is so amazing. He could point out how ridiculous it is that somebody could act a certain way, and yet also how every single one of us acts in that way. Because again, what do we want to do? Downplay our faults and raise up the faults of others so that we can feel better about who we are, right? Oftentimes we read that uh, verse in, is it 1 Timothy, Apostle Paul says, Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the foremost, right? And how hard is that sometimes for us to believe that? Like, really, I'm the worst sinner? I'm not even the worst sinner in my row. <laughs> it's because we don't understand the depth of our sin. So we're going to be the kind of people who walk around with logs in our eyes, more than happy to point out the faults in others while ignoring the ugliness in our own hearts? Or are we going to choose to think the best of others while at the same time always looking into our own hearts first, right, and asking the Lord to reveal the sin that's there? Because this is where, again, we need to understand in this parable that Jesus says, he doesn't say only care about the log in your eye, don't ever worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Don't ever think about anything that anyone else is doing. Your toddler wants to take a ride in the washing machine, who are you to judge, right? Like that's, you might not think that's a good idea, but that's, that's, judge not. He doesn't say never worry about the speck in your brother's eye. He just says deal with your log first. And then you will what? What's it say? See clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Man, I'll tell you what, this hits hard as a pastor, I think in a lot of ways, Jesus is talking about like spiritual leaders, people who think that they can solve other people's problems. They don't realize what's going on in their own lives. But it's not just for pastors. It's for all of us. Don't judge. Don't choose to think the worst of others and the best of yourself. Think about the most difficult relationship in your life for many of you not not most difficult the one that sorry that said that wrong think about the relationship in your life that takes the most work right so for many of you that's a spouse it's not always a spouse it's a boss maybe it's a sibling maybe it's uh whatever would that relationship that takes the most work 
be better or worse if you resolved, I'm going to care more about the log in my eye than the speck in their eye. Yeah, it would. That's really hard and really humbling. So I said, I'm convicted by this this morning. Let's not be like the man who ignored the log in his own eye. Don't judge, Jesus says, and you will not be judged. Second, here's the second thing. He says, don't condemn. Don't condemn. If you want to be like your heavenly father, don't condemn. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. What's this mean? How is this different than judgment? It's a little different. The definition of condemn here is to judge someone as guilty and subject to punishment. So in other words, Jesus is saying, don't look at someone and think it's up to you to decide what they deserve. That's what he's saying. So when I, I think about this, I think if you want to play, that's kind of stated in the negative. If you want to state it in the positive, it's have hope for people. Don't write them off. Don't think that they are beyond saving. Don't think that they're a lost cause. And again, this is super convicting to me because this is one of those things that can happen without even realizing it, right? The idea of, of uh, showing favoritism to some people over others. And maybe this is something you do with whole groups of people, right? Just write them off, condemn them, say there's no hope for them. It's not even worth ministering to those people, right? If you do it with a political party, right? Anyone who votes that way is too far gone. Or people who live in certain neighborhoods or certain economic classes, right? I'd, I'd never be caught dead in, in that part of town or that city. Like, no way. That's, that's beneath me. Maybe it's people who struggle with certain sins that you think in the back of your mind, like, oh, that's, there's, no, there's no hope even ministering to them. This is something that's so easy to fall into and so awful when you really think about it. Because if you're, and this is, I don't think you say this consciously, right? But I think this idea can certainly be lurking subconsciously. And if that's happening, think about what you're really saying. You're saying, A, well, I'm better than those people and more worthy to be saved and B, God isn't powerful enough to save them anyway. Ugh, right? A condemning person doesn't realize how much they deserved condemnation. And so if you are con- a condemning person... And again, I would argue every one of us naturally struggles with this in one way or another. It means at some level, you don't quite grasp the gospel. You don't understand the fact that before Jesus came into your life, you were an enemy of God. Whether you realized it or not, you committed treason against a holy God and deserved eternal punishment. This is exactly what Ephesians chapter 2 says, which should be on your screen. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you were once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's your story. You were a child of wrath, but that's not your whole story. 
because of the rest of this passage, which is on your screen. But God, being what? Rich in what? Mercy. Because of the great what? Love with which he loved us. Even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses. Did what? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And not only that, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. That's what we celebrate every single week when we come together. This is the gospel. I was dead, and now Christ made me alive. And so let me ask you a question now. Can one dead person be any more dead than another dead person? No. If you work at a funeral home and a dead person comes in at 9 o'clock and another one at 10 o'clock, it's like, well, I thought that person was dead. This person's really dead, right? No. You're dead or you're alive. Those are the two categories that we have. You were dead and God made you alive. Thank you, Jenna. You were dead and God made you alive. Anyone who has not been made alive by Christ is dead. Nobody's any more dead than anybody else. Who am I to put any sort of condemnation and say, well, that person, (laughs) not even going to try to minister to them. We're called to make Christ known (laughs) from our neighbors to the nations. And if we are a church that is full of judgmental, condemning people, We have no business thinking that we can fulfill that mission. If you recognize my story, where I was, I was dead, and God made me alive. Praise God, you know he can do that for anyone, anywhere, no matter what. Amen? Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be judged condemned all right what's the third thing the third way that we can take after our fathers it's uh, no less convicting i'm sorry i wish there was like a breath of air in this passage but this is convicting too forgive it says forgive and you will be forgiven and this goes hand in hand with not condemning if you realize how much you've been forgiven you will forgive others it's as simple as that We've talked before about the parable of the unforgiving servants, one of the most convicting passages to me in all of Scripture. There's a man who owed a king an outrageous amount of money, and uh, in our, it was 10,000 talents, which is today's money is like $6 billion, okay? An absurd amount of money that this man owed uh, the king. And the king's servant calls him in and demands that he pay it. And this guy's like, I swear, just give me a little more time and I'll get this money to you, right? Which is what? Ridiculous. (laughs) He owed $6 billion. Give me a week, man. I'll come up with the money. I promise, right? (laughs) Everyone always had one friend like that in in their life, by the way. Just give me a little more time. I got you. Uh, $6 billion, right? There's only like three of you in this church who could come up with $6 billion on a week's notice, right? For, for most of us, it's just like you just, it's astronomical. That was a joke. 
And then it makes you wonder, like, what kind of moron gets $6 billion in debt to the king? Like, how many, like, harebrained business ideas did this guy think was going to succeed, right? Six bill. Again, it's a lot of money. But what happens? Something unbelievable happens. The master has pity on him, and he forgives him. He wipes the debt clean. Wow. Imagine how good you'd feel if you owed $6 billion to a guy who could take your life like that, and instead he forgave you. You feel amazing. So what does this guy do? Goes and finds a guy who owes him ten grand, decent amount of money, a little less than $6 billion, and chokes him out and demands that he pays him right away. How could he do that? Again, this is where Jesus just... It's just amazing because this is, A, a ridiculous thing that nobody would ever do, and B, exactly what every single one of us does when we are unforgiving. What kind of a debt did you owe to God because of your record of sin? Like $6 billion worth. What did he do? He forgave it. When somebody sins against you, what do they owe you? Maybe ten grand. It's not nothing but you've been forgiven way more than that. So we forgive because you've been forgiven. And this is really hard because those offenses against us can really hurt, right? Again, that 10 grand isn't nothing. And it can be painful. Some of you have had people, loved ones, hurt you even way more than that. So what do we do? Well, we forgive, but more than that, we ask God, God, will you please help me to have a greater understanding of the gospel, to understand what you've done for me, and Lord, by your grace, help me forgive this person. Because that's not something you can do on your own. You can't just conjure it up. And oftentimes, they're not even sorry. But if you've been forgiven an incredible debt, if you want to take after your heavenly Father, who forgives like crazy, then we need to be known to do the same. An unforgiving person doesn't realize how much they have been forgiven. Praise the Lord. Doesn't mean you stop using good judgment, right? Sometimes someone sins against you repeatedly and you need to set up some smart guardrails and be careful that things don't happen again. I'm not, I'm not saying be unwise, but it doesn't mean be unforgiving. Yeah, forgiveness is like, it's so freeing. We're unforgiving. It's like, it can be like a prison that you build for yourself. Really, you don't realize it because it kind of feels good in the moment you have that thing over them. But man, if you forgive them freely, oh, what a freeing feeling that is. And it's what your heavenly father does. We need to take after him. Finally, whew, man, like I said, it's been a little convicting this morning. Last one, give. Give. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is another funny word picture that Jesus is giving. So if you were going to go get buy grain back then, you'd go, I think you'd just like have your kind of like your tunic, you 
gathered up and the person who uh, you're buying grain from would scoop it out with a measuring tool and, uh, and scoop it in. And so what he's saying is if you bought a certain amount, one tunics full of grain, this would be like you, you did that and then somebody like goes and they pour it in. You're like, thank you. And they're like, no, wait, I can do more. And they press it down and then they pour some more in. You're like, okay, that's very nice. Thank you. They're like, no, wait, I think I can fit a little more. And they shake it together so it kind of settles down. And then they pour some more and they just keep pouring until it's literally like running over is what he's saying. And so you're trying to go home with this ridiculous amount of grain and you've way more than you've purchased. That's the word picture that Jesus is saying. And that kind of generosity is what we're called to have. Basically, the way we're called to give is uh, kind of like you're uh, trying to leave your grandma's house, right? Oh, don't you want a sandwich for the road? Okay, Grandma, I'll take a sandwich. Oh, you need to take these chips too. Okay, okay, and you know what? This, the half a gallon of milk that I have here, I'm not going to finish that. Why don't you just take that with you, right? Anyway, I'm sure some of you are nodding your head like, yes, this is exactly. And then you have uh, your suitcase and a car full of groceries, right? You've got two weeks so you don't have to go to the grocery store after you leave Grandma's house. This is how we're called to give. It's a picture of ridiculous generosity. So if you want to take after your heavenly father, you need to give like you're a grandma. And the beauty of it is when you give like that, that's what Jesus says, you'll receive like that. When you give with ridiculous generosity, you're going to receive from God with ridiculous generosity as well. doesn't mean it's not like an investment strategy, okay? Like, let me pay, put 100 bucks in the plate this week, and then I'm going to receive 50% on my return next week. It doesn't work like that. But when you cultivate this attitude of giving, again, that says, I've been given so much in the gospel, and I just want to give it away as much as I can, because look at how much God gave to me. When you do that, you've heard the phrase, you can't outgive God. When you give, it will be given back to you. See, a stingy person doesn't realize how much they've been given. But a disciple does, a child of God does, and they give generously in return. Now, this isn't specifically necessarily just referring to giving in the church, but it's also not not talking about giving in the church. And so I just, it's not something we talk about very often, really, at all. I just want to encourage you this morning, like, if that's not a practice that you have as a part of your act of worship, of giving your financial resources to the church, let me just encourage you, like, uh, just, just try it. Because <laughs> you've been given so much in Christ. You might have to budget to make it happen. But when you give generously, it will be given back to you. Maybe not necessarily financially, but something, I mean, if God's given it to you, it's way better, right? You would just trust what he's going to give me. Yeah, that's way better than anything that I think that I need. So if we're going to take after our Father, we need to ask that the Lord would help us be generous as well. So let's recap. You want to be a child of God. You want people to look at you and be like, man, you're just like your heavenly father. What do we do? Well, first you need to take care of your log first before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Don't worry so much about your neighbor's sin that you miss what's going on in your own heart. Second, don't write people off. You were dead and God made you alive. If he did that for you, he can do that for anyone. Third, be quick to forgive. 
Don't be like the unforgiving servant. You've been forgiven, and you are called to forgive in the same way. Praise the Lord. And finally, give like a grandma. (laughs) Don't cling to what you have because you're afraid you'll be lost if you lose it. Recognize everything that you have has been given to you abundantly because your Father is taking care of you. And you want to be like him. So give in that same way. Press down, shaken together, overflowing with generosity. And he will give to you that same way. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it hurts so stinking good, God. So help us. Lord, help us with these areas of sin that you pointed out in our hearts even this morning. God, give us the humility to take the log out. It means i got to admit that I have a log. But God, if I do have a log, probably everyone else can see it already anyway. And what a feeling to have that removed and see clearly, Lord. Lord, may we not have condemning hearts thinking we know the punishment other people deserve, not recognizing the punishment that we deserve, that you so graciously sent your son to pay for us. And Lord, because of that, may we forgive freely and may we give freely because of all we've been forgiven and all we've been given. Our hope is found in Christ alone. Help us to be more and more like him every day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.